And greetings. Welcome to The Dividing Line. Uh, we're going to have open phones today, but before we go to the phones, well, it's not really phones. They're open Zoom calls. And Rich has posted stuff as to, I'm not sure if it's in the app or not. Is it in the app? Okay. Uh, as to how to do the Zoom calls, we have four folks already in line. I think that's max we can have, or I don't know. Oh, you can said we can do a lot more. Okay, we got four folks in line anyways. Um, but before I do that, we need to uh, briefly recognize the, um, I guess this past summer, right after uh, Dobbs, uh, the Jerry Nadler and the Democrats in the House uh, pushed through a, what they, as all leftists always do, uh, misnamed the Respect for Marriage Act which, of course, is the exact opposite of that. It's the profanation of marriage. It's the disrespect of marriage act. It is the utter destruction of marriage act. Uh, but you can always tell a leftist. They will twist words, change meanings, and say the exact opposite of the reality, evidently because their followers are so dull they'll believe them. Um, but anyway, the uh, Respect for Marriage Act has now... Uh, appeared in the Senate, and there is a fair amount of speculation, in fact, my understanding is being voted on today, that there will be sufficient Republicans in the Senate uh, to pass it who will will go for this. Um, And of course, we already know three or four quote-unquote Republican senators who are not Republicans at all, um, they're Democrats caucusing with the Republicans. Uh, so there, there's a, there's a very good chance that the government will vote into law, the utter profaning of marriage. Now, obviously this, uh, respect for marriage act includes language meant to protect religious liberty. Um, remember, the Respect for Marriage Act is the formally uh, gets rid of DOMA, the De- Defense of Marriage Act, which was a bipartisan, I think it was 96 to 4 when it was passed in the 90s, late 90s under Clinton, um, Defense of Marriage. So 20 years later, um, all of those protections that were a part of that can just simply be repealed. The, the idea that, well, it, you know, it contains protections for religious liberty. That's the, the kind of thing that is uh, impressive to people who don't know anything about history and don't know, don't recognize that uh, how leftism worked in Eastern Europe, how it's worked across the world over the past hundred years. They use language that there is nothing in their worldview to found any hope that they will be truthful and remain truthful and keep their promises or keep their word or anything like that. There's nothing in their worldview. It's only people on the other side that there is still something left in some of their worldview anyway. That would, you know, like right now, we're, we're hearing today people on the right going, well, it's time to start ballot harvesting because obviously it works. And obviously it does. Uh, as long, you know, since we've abandoned voting and now have simply gone to ballots, then you got to harvest as many ballots as you can. Whether that represents a citizen who is even cognizant of what's going on around them doesn't matter. I mean, you, you voted Fetterman in and he doesn't know what's going on. Biden doesn't know what's going on. So there you go. Um, but it's, it's a completely different concept. And it also results in completely different elections. Because it's no longer a matter of uh, disputation about what's best for the country, things like that. It's, it's just simply who has the better game plan of getting as many ballots signed by somebody and, and turned back in. It, it's immoral. But the right has realized, well, all we got to do uh, because we're just going to keep losing over and over and over again if we don't start doing what the other side has been doing all along, which is what they've been doing all along, but that doesn't change anything anyway. Um, so, uh, 
what's the reason I, I mentioned this aside from just the amazing reality of, of what we're facing in our, in our culture. And it makes perfect sense that our culture is expressing each and every day in every possible way, it's detestation of what it knows to be God's ways, what it knows to be God's law. Uh, there, there is just, it, it is just simply a withdrawal of the hand of restraint. And the result is fully understandable from a theological perspective. When man is, is given free reign to be what he really is in, 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 in himself, he will, he will turn against everything that is good that God has, has given to him. You know, I've said before, I, I think that's the essence of what eternal punishment is. God doesn't have to have angels running around with pitchforks. Uh, just allow God-haters um, to give full and complete expression to their hatred of God. And when they're alone and there's nothing left for them to hurt, um, they're the only thing left that represents the image of God. And so it's, it's, a, it's a self-torture, in essence, in that context. So anyway, uh, what's amazing is aside from that, and, and that we, we need to you know, pray. Yeah, I suppose we can, we can pray that there will not be 10 Republicans that will go with this. Um, but if there are, then we should be the people who, as a smaller and smaller minority, uh, give testimony to this society as to why the judgment that is all around us already and is only going to get worse, why it's coming. The society needs to know, why did we fall apart? Well, let us tell you. Um, it, was, it was a process. It was a fairly fast process as far as world history is concerned, but you know, it took a number of decades, and it started here, and then it snowballed. And we rejected God's ways, and that's why we can't pray for his blessing. Our forefathers did. They prayed for God's blessing. Um, how can we play, pray for God's blessing upon a nation doing the things this nation is doing? But, okay, so you've got that. Last night, I get sent an article with a link to the official, the newsroom of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons in Salt Lake City. And most of you know that this ministry began. I mean, our, our first primary focus was on Mormonism, uh, 1983. And our first tracks on the subject and all of our missions trips and, and everything were focused on on Mormonism and years and years of driving uh, up I-17 to Flagstaff and 89 up through Page and, and uh, uh, all that fun stuff getting up to Salt Lake City. And then the return trips where you're now exhausted and I don't know how many times, you know, some angel undoubtedly took over the wheel just to keep us from, you know, keep us from dying. Anyway, um, Mormonism has been a major element of what we have focused upon. And so the changes in Mormonism that we have observed, because I, my first conversation with Mormon missionaries was in 1982. Um, I had actually talked with some, with some Mormons in 1980, but I had no idea what was going on. So I read some books after that, not necessarily the best books. Uh, but, but the first full length, Mormon missionary conversation, which eventually led to Alpha and Omega Ministries, was um, July of 82. And I realize most of the people in the audience are, are, were not alive in July of 1982. What? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Over 40 years ago. Uh, Mormonism has changed amazingly in 40 years. Um, and... Most Mormons, more, more older Mormons, Mormons, Mormons my age know that. And they struggle with it. You know, the young missionaries don't know that. But men my age, women my age, they, they know. They can remember uh, the, the 
the confidence that Mormonism had in proclaiming itself to be the one true church. The moral and ethical collapse in the stances of the LDS church going on in Utah are just astonishing. What's going on at BYU? And the collapse on LGBTQ issues, that's what is amazing. Because I, I was there when the first protests outside General Conference took place and the gay Mormons showed up. That was, that was in the 90s. Um, and the, there, there's, it's like the, it's like they've become goo. The, there, there never really was a backbone. There's always been a strong subjective element, but at least back in the eighties, you know, you always had the, well, I believe it's true because I have a testimony thing, but they would argue about historical stuff. They, uh, there wasn't any seer stone, blah, blah, blah. Well, now we have the seer stone and, and, uh, you know, the, all, all that stuff you're talking about, it's all anti-Mormon stuff that's been made up. Well, now all of it's been documented. And the church admits it. And so back then, there was still a desire to try to say that there was a real historical foundation, for example, to the Book of Mormon. But there's a lot of Mormons now today that are adopting all this spiritualization and all this stuff uh, to try to say, well, no, not really. And, you know, we, they just become really, really squishy. And that's reflecting what's happening in Salt Lake City. So I read this last night. Re- this was released on November 15th. So yesterday. Um, the doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints related to marriage between a man and a woman is well known and will remain unchanged. We are grateful for the continuing efforts of those who work to ensure the Respect for Marriage Act includes appropriate religious freedom protections while respecting the law and preserving the rights of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. We believe this approach is the way forward as we work together to preserve the principles and practices of religious freedom together with the rights of LGBTQ individuals. Much can be accomplished to heal relationships and foster greater understanding. Remember, this is a, a, an act that will fundamentally destroy the very definition of marriage. Now, some people have said, oh, this, come on, this is easy. This act will open the door inevitably, just as a Obergefell did, um, to polygamy. And so they, that's what they want. They want polygamy back. No, they do not. No, they do not. I think Salt Lake City is terrified of the idea of polygamy. I think they're terrified of it. This is just simply a bunch of old men who have no worldview because there is no meaningful. The only only objective elements of LDS worldview was what it took from the Bible and from Christianity. And the LDS scriptures, Book of Mormon, Again, it's just someone trying to make something sound like the Bible. Joseph Smith had no concept of worldview. And since the Mormon doctrine of God is simply incoherent, it is, it is, it is a form of polytheism that is incoherent. It does not produce a coherent worldview. And so now as Mormonism has become a world religion, and it's now facing the secularized world. It's coming apart at the seams. So let me just, I said this on Twitter yesterday or last night, and I, and I say it to my Mormon friends now. It has always been time, but now more than ever, for you to realize you have a leaderless church. They, they are, are, are cowards when it comes to fundamental realities of male and female. You, you have a gendered God for crying out loud. <laughs> God's a physical male. He, he has sex parts. He, he, he creates babies. 
I, I mean, you know this. So they're, they're LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters. What? They've totally given in to the entire uh, rebellion. It, it just, just, just said, okay, fine, whatever. And then they have shown themselves to be utterly lacking in, in discernment. They really think that these religious rights protections mean anything when leftists are in charge? What? I mean, the naivete is astonishing. So I say to my Mormon friends, you need to realize you've been deceived. And it may have been a lifelong deception, but you're seeing it now. Don't just don't do what many of many of your fellow Mormons have been doing. Many, and you know this if you're honest to yourself. You know how many names have disappeared. The people who used to be there, they're not there anymore. They're not LDS anymore. Don't do what they've done, where you just throw out faith in God, faith in divine revelation, just because you've been given a counterfeit. There is truth in the historicity of the Christian faith. Just because Joseph Smith made up the entire Book of Mormon and everything that went with it, there was no Zelf the Lamanite. Okay? Recognize and put all that stuff off. Look to real Christianity that takes the Bible seriously. You know, the people that are standing against this stuff, the people are saying, no, we cannot go there. We will, we will suffer what it takes, but we, we cannot and will not go there. Because God has made man in his image. Male and female. That doesn't mean God has a physical body. That's where you got lost. That's where you, we are his creatures. And he has defined us by his sovereign power. And no acts of Congress or Jerry Nadler can change what God has done. And Jerry Nadler is going to discover that sooner or later. And he's going to have a lot to answer for. Um, but I just say to my Mormon friends, you, you know that what I'm saying is true. You know, you've seen the changes. You've seen the changes. What are you going to do about it? What, what's, what's going to happen? Okay. So, um, we have, uh, callers to get to. Sorry that you all had to listen to. Well, I'm not sorry you had to listen to that. Um, but um, I think it's important. We need to, we need to discuss it. So uh, let's uh, get to our phone callers. I guess I need to use this thing. I can't just mind read. I was going to make a comment there, but I'm not going to. Uh, we <laughs> let's start with uh, Josh. And Josh has a question on the subject of Reformed theology. So let's talk to, uh, to Josh. Hi, Josh. We lost Josh. Well, um, I actually, interestingly enough, heard Josh's question while you were, that was the first one up, and he was going, he was basically going to ask, what defines Reformed theology, what makes someone Reformed. And I will just briefly uh, comment that that is an area of tremendous conflict and um, disagreement. There are people who would say that I am not Reformed because I am a credo-baptist, not a pedo-baptist. And so they would say that pedo-baptism is absolutely definitional of what it means to be Reformed. So R. Scott Clark. Uh, would be one of those people. And then there's, then there's the new uh, hyper-confessionalists who um, you, you have to basically uh, spend every waking hour reading every scrap of anything ever written by any framer of whatever confession of faith you use, whether it be the Westminster or Savoy or whatever, um, or London Baptist Confession. And They'll define, they're the TRs, the truly reformed folks, where you have to cross every T and dot every I just like 
they say, or you're not really reformed. Over the years, I have emphasized one one thing of what actually makes reformed theology. And it is based in the recognition that God is God and we are his creatures. And that God has the perfect and sovereign right to do with his creatures as he pleases. He has a sovereign decree and we don't get to change it. And that sovereignty of God is then expressed in the election of a specific people. They are not chosen because God looks down the corridors of time and goes, they're going to choose me, so I will choose them. Um, They are the absolutely undeserving recipients of divine grace. And hence, salvation is of Yahweh. Salvation is of Yahweh. It is, it is not just made available by him, but it's actually accomplished by him. And so I have tremendous fellowship, a depth of fellowship and unity with all those who recognize the sovereignty of God and salvation, the perfection of the work of Christ, the fact that nothing can be added to what Christ has done, um, and the freedom of God, his righteousness in getting to choose whoever he wills to choose to receive his grace, and that he is absolutely free in that matter, and that mankind is in no place to judge him, to say, why has he done, you know, if you can read Daniel 4, you can read Nebuchadnezzar's prayer. Um, if, you can, if you can do that, and you can hear and understand, then um, that's, that to me is what being Reformed is. Because today, there are entire denominations that call themselves Reformed that don't believe any of that stuff anymore. Uh, the vast majority of people in the PCUSA may claim the the uh, the Westminster Confession as their as the, as their confession, but they don't believe what it says. And so, I have I think that the, the most functional, useful, fellowshipable definition of the term would be focused upon our recognition of who God is, that sovereignty and freedom in that great saving act of the gospel itself. And um, so that's what I would have said, uh, but, but we lost, we lost Josh. So um, I thought Michael was the next person up. Okay. Let's uh, let's do Michael. Um uh, Hey, Dr. James White, how you doing? Doing good. How are you? Good. So um, I'll kind of just describe the context that I'm in and then ask the question. So I'm, uh, I'm interning at my church and I'm 20 years old and I have uh, a bunch of friends who love Jesus and want to follow Jesus. And um, so basically I'm, I'm discipling them and we have a young men's Bible study that they love to go to and they love to like fellowship, it seems like in every other context than the local church. And so we're going through the book of Acts right now. And so I really want them to, to see the importance of the local church. But is there any other like recommendations that you would give me to give them as kind of like a gentle nudge to really be faithful to a local church? Well, uh, you know, I, I'll have to admit, I, I struggle when when someone says, "Well, you know, these 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 individuals love Jesus, um, yeah. but they don't love His church," and it's yeah. like uh, th- that means there's a fundamental element of Jesus's teaching and purpose that they're yeah. missing, and yeah. they're probably they've probably been introduced to. The well, I was driving back from Tucson recently, 
uh, I think I was, yeah, I was, I don't know why I was down there. I guess maybe I was pulling the RV. I don't remember. Anyways, I saw a, I, I saw a, uh, one of those big billboards. And it was something along the lines of Jesus believes in you or something, Ooh, yeah, some, yeah. some amazing statement like that. And there's just a lot of people that have been introduced to Jesus as something you add to your self-help methodology and yeah. he'll, he'll help get your teeth cleaner and straighter and, and, um, uh, make you an inch taller and stuff like that. And as a result, it, it it's not, you know, biblically, uh, we, we bow the knee to Christ as Lord and Savior. Yeah. yeah. And that's something that people in our day struggle with because you don't bow the knee to anybody. I'm autonomous. Yeah. I have ultimate authority and things like that. <laughs> and so when you when you recognize that it's, it's God's purpose in Christ to form the body of Christ. And he has given um, elders and deacons and he, he, he's, for example, how do you obey Christ? Christ says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, what, what's two of the things he's commanded us to do to be baptized and to partake the Lord's supper. And when you look at the mm-hmm. Lord's Supper, it's done in the context of the local church. It That's is right. it is a the body together uh, proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. You can't do that unless you <clears> are <throat> in the local church. And so, yeah. you're not obeying Christ. You're not walking yeah. with Christ if you are uh, rejecting what what Christ says in yeah. His Word. And and so, I, I suppose you know. If you are dealing with folks like that, there's going to come, there comes a point where the demands of discipleship become fully understood. And that's when you find out if there's been a real change of heart Mm. or whether you're dealing with someone who's just going along with something that's really cool right now. And if it becomes uncool, then we won't worry about that later on either. Uh, yeah. You well, I'd say, I would say that like, they're very, well, we're all very young in our faith. So like, this is kind of that period of transition from not being bound to any local church, having been just converted outside the context of the local church. And so I think this discipleship um, in in the Bible studies that we're having is kind of like that, that, so, um, well, well, help me understand this discipleship outside of the church. So, so I mean, I'm, so I'm are actually, these are these young men baptized? Um, yes, a few of them are. By whom? Um, in what context? Um, so I'm 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 an in, I'm an intern at uh, my church, and the pastors know these young men, so they had been basically. Um, kind of in and out of the church, like they would come for a couple weeks and then they would not come. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of hard to really describe the, the situation, but um, not all of them are baptized, but yeah. Yeah. And hence have never partaken of the Lord's supper. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you, you walk through, uh, Jesus' words on the night of his betrayal, you can do 1 Corinthians 11, you can do Matthew, whatever, and he says, uh, take, eat, all of you. Yeah. Well, okay, they can't, and and why yeah. not? And then you, you know, when they ask, well, yeah, but why, why do you have to be a member of a local church? Well, the scripture talks about purity in the fellowship. It talks about putting people out of the fellowship. You can't discipline people if you don't know who the sheep are. Yeah, you you can't yeah. have a shepherd and a flock, where you know it's sort of like right now we can't have a nation if we don't have borders because you can't define anything, and yeah. in the same way you can't have a flock if the shepherds don't know who the sheep are, and so I, I get the uh, we don't want to offend anybody attitude that a lot of churches have, but the reality is uh, discipleship. You know, I'd I'd go to to Mark. And, you know, Jesus called the crowds unto himself. Mm-hmm. And he said, 
if you would be my disciples, you must deny yourselves, take up the cross and follow me. Yeah. And that's where you're going to get a lot of people walking away. And it's similar to John 8. Jesus said to those who had believed in him, that's aorist tense, not present ongoing. Uh, if you if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples. You know the truth. Truth shall set you free. And uh-huh. they, be- they become offended at the idea that they needed to be set free. Um, yeah. And so once, once the claims of Christ are, are pressed, um, you'll find out who really loves Jesus or who really loves the coolness of saying yeah. you love Jesus. Um, yeah. and, you, and a person in the church cannot be um, uh, hamstrung by a fear of offense at that point, because Jesus' words cannot be stretched to make to mean anything else. They are straightforward. Yeah. If you're going to follow me, you need to take up your cross, die to yourself, and follow me. And and that means yeah. uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper and the whole nine yards. So there you go. Okay, that uh, that helps a lot. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks for calling in, man. Have a good yeah. day. All righty. So next one is uh, now we've only got these many, so uh, we can let folks know that they can still call in. Oh, oh, okay. I see one other. Day. Okay, all right, all right. I just I all right. Okay, never mind. All right, let's talk to uh, John. Hi, John. Hey, how are you? Uh, pretty good. You sound like uh, like your max headroom in it right now, but we'll hopefully we can figure out what you're saying. Yeah, yeah but it's really bad. Are you on? Are you on a dial-up modem or something? Okay. <laughs> keep keep trying. Oh, uh, let me try. Is this better? A little bit. Better? A little, I, 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 I can see what's happening. If someone's on their phone, you know, you're, you're like holding up, trying to get an extra cell. <laughs> one more, one more bar, <laughs> please. Something. <laughs> I, I am on my phone, so that might, that might be why. Okay, could you try? <laughs> could you try putting one arm up in the air and then pirouetting this direction? And do you have any aluminum foil? Uh, anything like that? You could... <laughs> I, I might could, but I'm in my car, so. Oh well, we don't want to do that. <laughs> Yeah, wherever you are right now, wherever you are right now, stop in the middle of the road. It's working. You've got a good cell. So, well, now all of a sudden you hear a crash. It's like, oh, oh well, sorry. Okay, go for it. Go for it while we can hear you. Okay. Um, first of all, I'm a huge fan. When when the father brought me to an understanding of the doctrines of grace, really helped um, sharpen my understanding. So I really appreciate that. Yes, sir. Uh, and so I've read two of your books already, Forgot Trinity and Potter's Freedom. I got a whole bunch of your stuff in my Amazon card if I could just find the money to buy it. But <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, huge fan of yours. Um, quick question. Within the context of Matthew 24, 36, the day that Christ is talking about, is he talking about um, his second coming as it's usually understood? Or is he talking about like the day of the destruction of Jerusalem? Well, that's really because good. Matthew- yeah, go ahead. No, because I was just saying, if Matthew 24 is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, you know, after coming, I've also come to a post-millennial eschatology, thanks to Dr. Bonson and, and guys like you, and he helped me understand Matthew 24, but um, it just seems to me, you know, it sounds like he could be talking about the day of the destruction of the temple, Yeah, you know, is what it sounds like to me, because if we want to be consistent with Scripture— you know, sola scriptura, tota scriptura, you know, it just sounds like to me that, that that's a possibility. I'm not denying the second coming of Christ. Right. I'm just saying that within that particular context, you know, it could be something else rather than Perusia. Right. Officially known. And I was just wanting to get your opinions on that. Okay. See what you thought. Yeah, and if and if I break up on your phone and stuff like that, obviously this is being recorded. You you go back and get all of it, and uh, and hopefully it'll make sense there. That that's a huge question, and 
very often that's sort of skipped over because <clears throat> in the various uh, discussions of exactly how to understand where we are in what Jesus is addressing in Matthew chapter 24, um, there, there are questions about, okay, when does the focus shift? Because uh, verse uh, 34 says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven right. and earth will pass and away, that- my words will not pass away, but of that day and the hour, no one knows. So you would, you would expect... Um, you can certainly make the argument that there's really nothing in the context in just those few words that would shift the focus from what has come before, which clearly is about the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, right. from verse 36. But someone could argue that verse 35 heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away, um, might open the door to looking at something bigger farther on down the road when it's talking about heaven and earth and, and so on and so forth, and my words will not pass away. And, you know, a lot of people try to connect the, that text to all sorts of things that don't have anything to do with Matthew chapter 24. Um, right. But it is it is pretty hard to uh, avoid the the textual flow that would say uh, that we're we're talking, you know, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like days of Noah, uh, eating, drinking, uh, you know, two men in the field won't be taken, won't be won't be left. These are it, those are pictures of judgment. Now, the, the, there's there's judgment at the end of time, but there was right. also judgment in the destruction of Jerusalem. Right. So and there's times. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, there's times in a in Revelation when he's addressing the church of Thyatira and all that when he said he's going to come in judgment for people who don't repent, right, and things like that. And Christ has said to come and visit his people, but it's not his second coming; it's a coming in judgment of discipline. Right. Right. And so that that's what I was thinking too. You know, is that it sounds like he could be coming, and like when it says that. Um, that word generation in the Greek and in verse 34, I think it is, it has to do with the generation that's currently living usually within a span of 30 years or something. Right. Usually what that word in the Greek means. So it's just like, you know, it just, to me, it would make more sense that he's talking about um, the destruction of Jerusalem. But then, like you said, somebody could argue about heaven and earth passing away too, but my words never pass away. So it's kind of, it's kind of difficult yeah, it, it, it's all judgment, and so the the judgment on Jerusalem is a central aspect of of New Testament revelation that a lot of people miss. Um, a, a lot of people, since they've been taught a certain eschatological understanding, they they put all of that in the future, and they don't see that there was a necessity for judgment after the time of the Messiah. I mean, this had been prophesied. And the language that is used in Revelation and in Matthew to describe this judgment is language that is plainly drawn from the prophets who were talking about judgment upon Israel. But that doesn't mean that's the only judgment that's ever going to take place. That's where you, you, you fall off the other side is, okay, all that judgment took place in AD 70 and there's nothing left left for there to be judged. No, there, there is. And uh, I, I'm reminded of Paul's preaching at the Areopagus when he says that, that the, the resurrection is evidence given to everyone that there will be a day of judgment and it will be a, a, a just judgment because of the one that God has ordained will be doing the judging, and that is the one he, rose, he raised from the dead. Right. So, yeah. so finding that balance is... is really the challenge. Um, and so, yes, 2436 could be talking about specifically um, that exact hour of when that's going to take place. If you go there, though, then you have to be ready to answer the question, well, how, does, how can Jesus describe what it's going to look like? Armies surrounding Jerusalem, 
uh, get out and 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 uh, flee. Don't don't go back to get your cloak. You know the the surrounding of the of the city. I mean, that's pretty clear prophetic information. Um, yeah. So did he just have that level of prophetic information and not the whole uh, thing? Like what day Titus and the Roman legions are going to show up or, or something like that? Um, that becomes one of the questions that has to be interacted with uh, at that point. Yeah. And, and of I course, well, in the Old Testament, the prophets prophesied about specific certain events that were pretty detailed, but they didn't know when it was going to happen either. So, I mean, it yeah, that's possible. Lines up with that as well. That, yeah, yeah, that's possible. Yeah, yeah. but uh, so. you know, that's why in in the current controversies I've been dealing with with people who have decided that. Uh, the context of Matthew 24 isn't relevant, and the flow of Matthew 24 isn't relevant, but the <laughs> mind of God, we somehow have access to that, and we can figure out we can figure out stuff about the Holy Spirit out of a passage like this, even though the Holy Spirit's never mentioned. Um, the, the midst of, yeah, Thomas Aquinas can help us with that. The, the, the issue, uh, you know, the problem that, we're, we're, that, that really we're looking at is it's a it's a difficult text in the middle of a difficult text. And, and, and I've just gotten into just a whole boatload of trouble by saying it's a difficult text. And I don't think that it's proper for us to just simply, um, you know, I, I I was raised to uh, interpret verse 34 in a particular fashion that I realize now was not appropriate. It was, it was, it was not an accurate, handling of the text, but it certainly made things easier. And we have to be really, really careful when we use our theological systems to make things easier. Um, And this is one of those places where where that's the case. So yeah, it could be, um, but I can see arguments going, going both directions. And I don't want to uh, pretend that, that that's not the case. So I have to look at it in, 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 in both, both perspectives. Got it. Well, I appreciate your help and your insight. Thanks for all you do and for all Apologia and for all, all Alpha Omega has done for me, man. You guys have really poured into my life, so I appreciate it, man. Well, I really appreciate you letting us know that, and uh, we will we'll continue to do the best we can. God bless you. All right. You too, James. All right. God Thank bless, you. Michael. Thank you. you. You know, before we go next caller, I uh, we're getting old. We're getting old. Okay. Oh, now you're old. I know you're older than me. Let's not even, and you don't look, I, I, let's not go there. Um, there's just been so many, uh, young men, uh, over the past couple of trips, just had two, two guys at Apologia last service. And they said the exact same things. Yeah. Uh, you, you just don't know how much you've poured into my life, how, how much we've learned, uh, you know, there's this, there, there, we've found a voice out there that year after year after year. And even when we go back in the archives, we, we, we yeah. go, we go, I'll go, <laughs> you yeah, know, oh, yeah. uh, we go back in the archives, we go back 20 years and yeah, I mean, you have more Coogee sweaters now, but other than that, um, you know, the, the emphasis on consistency and exegesis, you know, it's, it's been there all along and it's, uh, really, truly impacted. Them. I, I I get those phone calls during the week. You yeah. know, I just I, oftentimes I don't really know what to do with them because you just kind of go, you know, we we do what we do because we do it unto the Lord, right? And uh, but I I get the, those calls all the time, and I, and I I appreciate it. I do, um, and I probably don't tell you about them nearly as as often as I should. Well, and of course, but I get to hear them uh, face-to-face, yeah. and you don't get to hear do, those. No, so. no, I'm curious. Do they tell you the same thing at the end of the call or at the end of the conversation that they tell me about how you need to be nicer to me? Yes. They do, yeah. yeah and then yeah. I explain to them why yeah. they've completely misunderstood the situation, and, and they and, go, oh, and, okay. Yeah, All right. yeah. And, and the, and, okay. All right. <laughs> and they still don't believe you, do they? Anyway. Oh, they, no, they do. No, they do. The, the, I have... They, you know, they they can sense the honesty. My, my calls saying. don't go that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they don't. Okay, um, now I'm I'm gonna slaughter the pronunciation here, but uh, let's try it. Uh, Mawansa. 
Uh, Mwanza, let's uh, talk to you. Hello. That's close enough. Close enough, huh? Uh, what's yeah. what's what's yeah. what's that? What language is that coming from? It is uh, well. Greetings from Lusaka, Zambia. It okay. Is a Bimba name. Yes. Okay. Yes. Now yeah. we. I've been I've been to Lusaka once. Did we meet? No, no, we did not. I was supposed to be there for your debate with the with the with the Muslim uh, Imam who pulled out at the at the last moment. So yes, yes, uh, I would. Yeah, that would have been the place to meet. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, well, I have to tell you, I have to tell everybody the story now since you're since you called in or contacted us. Are you in Lusaka right now? Yes. Okay. So. When I was there, I gave a presentation at one of the local churches. It wasn't the large uh, Reformed Baptist Church downtown where I spoke one night, but I, I spoke at a smaller church farther out on the reliability of the scriptures. And it was it was it was culture shock because I have a number of, shall we say, humorous stories that I tell along the way to sort of keep people tuned in and, you know, following me because it can be some, sometimes a little bit complex stuff. Nobody, nobody would react. No one would laugh at all at whatever I said, except one guy in the front row and he was from South Africa. So there seems to be uh, a, a cultural idea that you don't, you don't laugh at what someone says, even if it's really obvious that they they would feel perfectly fine if you did, uh, it was it was really really it was it was hard to to adjust to that because as a speaker you're you're trying to gauge your audience your and whether audience. you're really communicating with them, yeah. and it's hard to do that there. It really is. Yeah. So if yeah. you ever get a chance to uh, speak elsewhere, you'll probably find that out in reverse. Uh, yeah. you know, if, if that ever happens. So keep, keep that in mind. But, uh, it was wonderful to get a chance to be there, even though it was a, it was a brief period of time. And uh, I don't know that I'll ever get the chance again now. Uh, but, um, it was, it was good to be there. So what can we help you with? Yes. Um, well, the, the cage stage that, uh, that I have referred to is this, this moment when a person discovers, a new set of doctrines or uh, rediscovers some doctrines and they begin to see it everywhere. Three, three examples would be when, when people uh, discover <clears throat> reformed theology or, or Calvinism or uh, the law, the law of God and uh, the relevance of the law of God and even eschatology, like they just begin to see it everywhere. And I've, uh, I have seen it uh, in, in myself as I'm engaging more of this material I'm beginning to see it um, everywhere, and and so I, I just wanted to get your your, your comments on uh, on 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 this issue. Is is um, how can um, how can we sort of like keep the reins on um, on this outlook without uh, everything turning into uh, in, into this this particular doctrine where you just become the eschatology guy or the the law guy or right. or the reformed theology guy how 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 do we get this well-rounded um approach well you know one of the problems is when we are talking about part of the biblical revelation that is currently very much under attack from the world we we tend to look like and we can become imbalanced in the defense of you know, we we live in a world that emphasizes uh, secularism, man's um, man's autonomy, man's wisdom, power, and when we see what Scripture says about man's dependence upon God's grace and uh, his fallen nature and um, all those things, it can sound there. There can be a sense which we we sound like we're being imbalanced simply because we are constantly having to deal with people that are denying that, or um, when the culture influences the church and the church starts backing off of certain aspects of biblical teaching because, well, that's offensive to the people in the culture. We want to be winsome. We want to want to see people uh, coming in and, and hearing the message, things like that. 
So we always have to be aware that whatever battles we are in right now, um, that is going to impact what we're going to be emphasizing. But I think you're, you're touching on something that I've, I've said over the years many times, a, a real mark of Christian maturity is the ability to um, recognize what is important in the current day without making it the central defining aspect of everything else. And one of the things that has helped, one of the things the Lord has used in my life to help with that is, first of all, I've always been a churchman. I've always been a part of the church, which means I've always been teaching. And that means not just teaching certain subjects, but teaching through the scripture. And when you, when you have to teach through um, all of scripture, that automatically brings a balance. You can't just pick the text you want to beat the drum on and say, see, here's my stuff. And so I'm going to do eschatology or I'm going to do the doctrines of grace. You, you have to deal with the other aspects of Christian life that are a part of a balanced understanding of scripture. So being, being mm. in the church in, in that way. Um, and then I, I never, thankfully, like I said, at the top of the show, uh, we started off dealing with um, the subject of Mormonism primarily. Mm. Thankfully, very quickly that expanded out to other areas. And one of the reasons I'm thankful that it did is you, you tend to start seeing if you're dealing with one particular subject or one particular group, you start seeing it everywhere. Like you were saying, and you, you're, it's like, I'm not sure what you'd call it there in Zambia, but uh, we call it uh, tug of war. It's where you've got, you know, you get five guys on one side of the rope and five guys on the other side of the rope. And you're you're trying to pull the other guys across a certain line or something like that. Yeah. When you're when you're pulling, you're not balanced at that point. If they let go, that's one of the one of the tricks is everybody lets go and the other side falls over and then you grab it and run off with the rope. Um, if they let go, you're going to fall over. You're not you're not standing in a balanced position. And if I'm oh. constantly only pulling one direction against, say, Mormonism then the Jehovah's Witnesses are behind me and I'm going to fall right into uh, problems with them when I try to witness to them yeah. because I'm no longer really balanced. And so being aware of that danger and recognizing, okay, I may have a real focus upon this. I may have a real passion for reaching these people. Um, but at the same time, there, there are all sorts of other people groups in the world, and there are important things to to reach out to them too. And yeah. um, th- there are people that the Lord is gifted to work with them who wouldn't know anything about what I'm doing at all, and wouldn't be able to engage in what I'm doing at all. So there's a balance to be to be had in all of those things. I think I think one of the greatest signs of Christian maturity is to know where those limits are and to be able to. Um, walk that central line and and not fall off one direction or the other, uh, even when the wind is blowing. Because uh, because when the wind is blowing, you tend to be leaning over one direction against that wind, and then all of a sudden the wind stops, and whoa, you know, we start losing our balance. It is having that balance, and it's honestly that's just something that um, you develop over time, and you never fully get it. I don't care how old you get to be there. It will always be something that you have to keep in mind and be asking for and, and working toward. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, I've, I've, I found the, the tug of war analogy helpful because yeah, yeah. You're off balance because you are pulling. Right. <laughs> against, yeah. And, and you may, something. and you may need to be pulling and, and that that's yeah. fine, but you need to be, need to realize I am pulling and that doesn't mean that I will always be pulling. Yeah. And and that it doesn't mean that everybody else around me is a part of this tug of war, and so if I'm going to be going to minister well to the whole body, I have to keep that balance. That's um, and that's that's not easily done, uh, but yeah. it's something we need to work toward. Yeah, 
Well, thank you very much, Dr. White. All righty, God I bless echo you. The words of the other callers, you have been a, a great blessing uh, thank you. to us over here. Uh, keep it going. Thank you. Thank you very much. God bless you. Thank you. Wow. Uh, yes, sir. Yes, I see that. I see that. Um, we'll have to be uh, brief, but, and looking at the topic, I'm like, I'm not sure I can be, but we'll, we'll take a shot at it. Uh, Matthew. Let's uh, talk with Matthew on the salvation of all Israel. Hi, Dr. White. This is Matthew calling from the wonderful big tech state of Texas here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. All right. I um, go, go through there very often. Fantastic. I, well, I hope to see you at your next excursion. I'm a California refugee. <laughs> uh, just moved here recently, and I know it's a big question I'm about to ask, so I figure uh, I just show my appreciation for your, for the ministry that uh, Alpha and Omega, both you and Rich, do there. Um, I used to have some direct interaction with some uh, major leaders in the prosperity movement, but uh, this channel has really, uh, and the teaching has really helped me a lot disseminate things where where I came and rubbed up against a lot of opposing views. And and I just thank you so much for the ministry. Um, so my question really um, relates to Christian Zionism. And, and specifically, I tried to narrow it down to Romans 11, 25 through 27, where Paul talks about the salvation of all Israel. And I would love to hear your perspective on on, uh, I've heard Dr. Michael Brown's perspective on the salvation of all Israel as being the um, um, future salvation of the nation or whether it's uh, salvation of an inner elect, historical Israel and Christ. And I just love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, um, it, it's a very, very good question. And I'm, I'm going to take the, um, the easy way out. And the easy way out is due to the fact that I think uh it may have been less than a month ago um i don't i i think it was after i got back from my big long trip uh so it was just a matter of weeks ago if not it's been within the past two months i preached what may be the last sermon in the series on baptism at apologia church um not sure about that but anyway my subject was Romans chapter 11, and we specifically dealt with uh, the, all the understandings of what all Israel would be, uh, the possibility of that being all Israel at a point in time in the future that is alive at that particular point in time, um, or all Israel being Paul's, you know, Paul's utilization in Philippians that we are the true Israel. Um went through the various options uh, for that. It wasn't, it wasn't the central focus of the um, sermon because the central focus was the subject of baptism and the fact that between credo-baptists and paedo-baptists, Romans 11 and the grafting in of the wild olive branches into the natural olive tree is a central aspect of at least modern, uh, paedo-baptist apologetic. And so we were dealing with what is the olive tree and how is this relevant? Is this even relevant in Paul's uh, context, Romans chapter 11? And so um, so I would direct you to that and for a f- even fuller discussion, um, I uh, you know, given that we're pretty much out of time, I would direct you to, um, uh, how would you search for it? Um, on sermonaudio.com, look for uh, Sam Waldron, Romans 11. Sam Waldron, Romans 11. That probably should pull it up. There was a conference only a few years ago, and Dr. Waldron uh, did a, I don't know, 45-minute, 50-minute, um, discussion of that specific text and those specific questions. And so he had a little more time because he wasn't dealing with bap. Well, he did sort of touch on baptism, but the, the difference between my sermon and his sermon, other than he's a lot smarter than I am, 
is my subject was baptism. His subject was what is all Israel uh, supposed to mean? So uh, he had more time to do that. He touched on baptism and I spent more time on baptism, but um, I heard a keyboard in the background. Did you, did it, <laughs> did you pull it up? <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, I did. And I appreciate that. I will definitely pull that up and I won't listen to it live on air. Yeah, that I'll would be, that, that would be, yeah, that, that, yeah, that would be helpful. Um, so yeah, if you grab <laughs> that and then if you just go to the Apologia, uh, church, uh, YouTube channel, um, you'll, you'll find my sermon on that. And hopefully between those two, that'll give you, uh, a whole lot of help, hopefully. And I mean, do you have, do you have O Palmer, O Palmer Robertson's book, Christ, the Christ no. of the Covenants? Um, no. everybody refers to that as a standard work and he's a Presbyterian. So on the baptism issue, we might disagree, but as far as the historical background stuff and things like that, it's always good to have uh, that work in your library if you can track it down. O. Palmer Robinson, I think it's called Christ the Covenants. Um, and even if you end up disagreeing, uh, you, you have to think through why. And almost everybody who's written since him is having to deal with him because the work uh, was so insightful. Though, if I recall correctly, I think Dr. Waldron says... And this is interesting because Dr. Waldron admits he's changed his view on what all Israel means. And I think he says, so did O. Palmer Robertson. So that gives you an idea of some of the complications and challenges of, of the text. Um, but yeah, uh, if you get Robertson, Waldron, my sermon, you've got a lot of, a lot of stuff to work with there. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, I didn't see any uh, strange billboards out here about Jesus, but I just wanted to say that I believe that Jesus believes in you. <laughs> well, <laughs> I believe in him, and that's the important part. Uh, that's, that's the truth. All right. Thank, thank, you, thank you, so you, sir. Much. God bless you. All right. God bless. Thank you. All right. There we go. And I need to remember not to delete the list so that I can. It is. It, it's astonishing. I guess I'm still on this camera. Um, it's a. Uh, it's astonishing. We get to the end of these programs. We get to, we get to the end of these programs. I shouldn't say this on the air, but we we will get to the end of the dividing line, and we've well, thanks, and we and I start putting the blog together, and I look through the window at Rich, and I go, "What what did we talk about at the start?" <laughs> And we just sit there and stare at each other going, no idea. <laughs> it's a short-term memory that goes first, kids. Just just be prepared for that. <laughs> oh, my. Hey, I've got five grandkids. I mean, I, I, uh, when, when we're about to start, a, I, I, I race. I do almost all my riding indoors now. Some people complain about that, but I'm sorry safer um part of it's just simply what's happening in phoenix homelessness they've taken over the underpasses i used to be able to ride through safely get out of the traffic and get places where i could ride i can't do it anymore so you put the two together and um i'm I'm riding inside a lot and there's something called zwift i ride in to do races and stuff like that and uh uh what i'll do you know when you're Although the group's in a pen before you get started. So you're just, you're just pedaling, you're warming up, but you're not going anywhere. And you can talk to each other. And so one of the little things I've done is I've said, now remember, um, you are, if, you're, if you are under 40, um, you are morally obligated to draft. That means riding in front of, so other people can go faster, to draft. For any grandparents with more than four grandchildren. And then I send that. And then the next line I send is, have you seen the picture of my fifth grandchild ransom? <laughs> so it's just a subtle way of saying, you know, guilting people. You know, if, if you outrun me in this race, you're outrunning grandpa with five grandkids. What, what are you doing? 
you know, uh, where are your priorities? You should be helping me get to that finish line. Anyways, it's, um, it is a lot of fun. I was, I was racing people from all over the world just yesterday and, uh, did pretty well. I was 11th out of 41 in my age group, you know, and those, those are, those are all people that do a lot of riding. So, you know, wasn't, wasn't too bad. Anyways, don't know why I told y'all a story, but, but as you get older, you just tell stories and it's, it's fun. And I think we like it because, Hey, I remembered something. <laughs> you go from there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not that old for my age. Um, so uh, Rich and I were talking, we're, we're going to shoot for Friday. We'll see how everything works out. We'll let you know. That'd be three programs this week. That's not too bad. That's not too bad. Uh, next week's got, got Thanksgiving in it. So that sort of messes things up, but we look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks for watching. God bless.